Welcome to Insights and Indicators. I'm Jason Thomas, Carlisle's Head of Global Research and Investment Strategy. And in this podcast, I share our observations and opinions on the economic landscape, as well as insights from research being conducted by our team here at Carlisle. Today, I'll touch on the current outlook for the economy and monetary policy and their implications for private markets. This episode was recorded on September 13th, 2023, and my insights reflect composite portfolio data and analysis of recent government reports that are accurate as of that date. First, as we began, I think it's important to note that September 2023 was the first month in nearly two years where there is really no case for further rate hikes. So yes, the Fed skipped a rate hike at the June meeting this year, but that was really just some degree of dissension among FOMC members following the three bank failures that occurred earlier this year. Some were concerned that further rate hikes could intensify what they viewed as a brewing crisis. This time, at this month's meeting, I really don't even expect the most hawkish members of the committee to make the case for a rate hike. Our August data suggests that both input price inflation and pricing power have returned to Q1 2021 levels. The massive supply-demand gap that was open during the pandemic has has not only been closed, but in fact, we now see signs and, and have seen signs of some unwanted inventory accumulation in some goods markets that has actually led to some price discounting, some cutback in orders that has contributed to a decline in global manufacturing output, but also just a recalibration of production schedules to recalibrate to a more circumspect demand outlook. We had a time when it wasn't just new orders. There were factories that had to be working flat out all the time to work off that enormous backlog that had been accumulated. Now, there are some signs that actually the current level of production is perhaps in excess of what's required for the outlook for global demand moving forward. And again, this is very good news on the inflation front. Now, the U.S. economy has continued to grow despite some of the weakness in manufacturing and and this disinflationary process, thanks to continued spending on experiences, travel, tourism, live events. Of course, this is something we've noted in prior months, and it certainly did continue in August. In fact, there are some signs that the official measure of Q3 GDP could be far better than previously expected, precisely because of some of the spending in this category, notably Uh, summer concert series, the gate receipts associated with that, travel to those concerts, ticket servicing fees, et cetera. While inflation has come down, while the economy has continued to grow, I think it is really notable that even though there's not going to be a rate hike this month, even though there's no case for a rate hike this month, the Fed has really conspicuously avoided taking any sort of victory lap. Uh, You saw this last month, at the end of the month, in Jackson Hole, when Chair Powell used his speech at that symposium to reaffirm the Fed's 2% inflation target and emphasize that total spending in the economy remains above levels that they believe are consistent with it. So now we're in this wait and see mode. This is the uncertainty I think that's likely to envelop uh, markets over the next several months. Peak rates, I think they've been reached, certainly they've come into view, but it's anyone's guess how long rates remain near current levels. And and this is the main source of uncertainty facing private markets, of course, as bid-ask spreads between buyers and sellers continue to revolve around questions about the future cost of capital, future financing costs, and really where the level where many of these assets should transact. 
My guess is that in six to 12 months, the Fed and maybe even the ECB will find itself in a position to start cutting rates. However, I think that this rate cutting cycle, at least initially, is going to be much more cautious than currently priced by markets, with some FOMC members very uneasy uh, about you know, any sort of aggressive rate hikes absent a significant contraction in economic activity, and, and really wanting to keep an eye on the data to see any signs of a rebound in price pressures. And of course, that could be tied today to a dramatic increase in energy prices that we've observed over the last couple of months. And yes, that is just headline inflation. Of course, energy prices are excluded from the core. But as you saw with the 5% increase in airfares in the month of August, higher energy prices, of course, contribute to transportation costs, which are a part of the core inflation measure. So I think it's important, again, that it's not as though inflation just comes down. There could be some volatility in the months ahead. Secondly, I, you know, I don't think it's clear that longer dated bond yields will necessarily fall in parallel with any cut in interest rates on the short-term basis, just given the dramatic increase in the bond supply. When you add fiscal deficits to the balance sheet runoff from the Fed's quantitative tightening, private sector portfolios will likely have to absorb nearly $3 trillion of additional treasury debt over the next 12 months. So that's a lot of private sector capital that's going to be absorbed by treasury debt. And I think it's something that's going to contribute to feelings of finiteness in capital markets that's already evident in the slowdown in, in overall credit issuance. That's, of course, tied to the high level of interest rates with senior loans continuing to yield over 10%. But my bigger fear really is that many market participants are positioned for something that's never happened before which is that the Fed will cut rates by 200 basis points or more outside of a genuine recession or, or some sort of financial dislocation. And to be clear, if you expect a recession in 2024 and are betting on big rate cuts in, in response, I have no problem with that. That's a reasonable position, internally consistent. But if you're betting on rate cuts of that size, you know, taking, again, loan yields down to 8% or so by the end of 2024, while you also expect the economy to continue to grow, even at a subdued pace, just know that there is no historic precedent for that constellation of factors. Again, the rate cuts of that size have always and everywhere come in the context of a recession. Finally, I just want to say one word about the Chinese economy. I do think that rhetoric surrounding the economic situation in China does not match with the on-the-ground reality, at least from what we can see from our portfolio there, portfolio company data. Uh, what we see is really modest overall growth in the context of really significant dispersion across sectors. We continue to see 12% year-over-year growth in sales and foot traffic across our fixed economy-wide sample of retail locations. And certainly that year-over-year -year growth is inflated by lockdowns that occurred last year. But still, if you look back to prior years, you see two or three-year annualized growth of about 6%. And this is, again, generally consistent with fairly strong overall services consumption spending uh, in China. The issue is really tied to fixed investment. And, and this is a big problem for China, of course, because fixed investment accounts for about 40% of GDP. 
The issues here are, of course, the residential investment, ongoing issues with the price and speculation in the housing markets, a government that, that wants to tamp down on, on speculation and move some of that discretionary risk capital away from housing into more productive sectors of the economy. But then also, of course, regional governments that very often lack other fiscal instruments depend on land sales to fund themselves. So very complicated. Again, this is a big source of the weakness in the economy. But in addition, we also do see private sector capital spending that looks extremely sluggish, really zero, maybe down two to four percent. And really, I think this is where uh, policymakers should focus, because this is you know, something that is not necessarily going to respond to stimulus, fiscal spending, credit easing, maybe cuts in interest rates, but it's really tied to a pronounced weakness in business sentiment. And that weakness, I think, relates to certainly prior lockdowns, past regulatory interventions, but just broader concerns about the direction of the economy. So I think this is a situation, again, where it would be hard to classify the situation as especially bright, but I do think the rhetoric and headlines are perhaps overstating the weakness. And again, I think it's a situation where the focus on really improving business sediment, making it clear China is open for business, those sorts of uh, movements are, would probably pay the biggest dividends in the short term rather than you know any sort of large-scale stimulus, which of course could also weaken the exchange rate, creating some other issues given, again, how high U.S. rates are right now and the expectation that rates are going to remain near current levels for some time. So on behalf of the team here at Carlisle, I thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us again for our next episode of Insights and Indicators. Thank you.